0: Uh, And as you're seated, I invite you to turn to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. It's in the middle of the Bible, slightly slightly after the middle. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Uh, As you find there, I just wanted to point out that last year and this year, Christmas lights, it seemed to me, have gone up early. Uh, I saw Christmas lights up the day after Halloween. Uh, And if you came up to me after the sermon and said, Pastor Matt... Uh, I saw Christmas lights up before Halloween. Like, I would not be a bit surprised at all. Uh, and I'm not pointing this out so that I can be a Grinch and criticize people. Uh, I'm pointing it out because I think it's wonderful. I see it as a, something like a physical prayer for help at a time when things seem so difficult and confusing. You know, Pastor Matt, you're reading into it. Well, like, If you have Christmas lights up on your house, even if you've done it every year for your whole life, are you really going to tell me that putting up lights that shine in the darkness don't have extra meaning for you because of these last two years? Are you really going to say that what moved you to put them up early isn't a deep desire for the clarifying hope of Jesus to shine in the world right now? And if you're not a Christian, is there really no part of you that looks at these lights and thinks like, Ah, oh, like, I'm so glad they're up early this year. I, I need the hope these lights represent. I don't know where to get that hope permanently necessarily, but I need the little taste that I'm getting right now. We often forget that the Christmas story, whether it's the actual story of Jesus being born in the Gospels, or the Old Testament stories that Jesus embodies as himself, that all of these take place at times when people are praying desperately for help. Every Christmas story and every Christmas prophecy takes place in a time of war or uncertainty or change. It takes place in a time of fear, anxiety, social upheaval, plague, political unrest, family disintegration, injustice, corruption, violence, sin, fire, famine, flood, drought, earthquake. Like, I'm not making this up. I'm serious. We're going to look at some of this in a second. My friends, if our ancient family had electricity and Christmas lights, they would have had them up in May because they were praying so desperately for help. And when we forget that that's the case, we can forget that Christmas is God's answer to that prayer for help and his answer is yes at Christmas when God sends his son he's saying you need light here's light you need hope here's hope do you need renewal and repair and resurrection like here it is Jesus is all of that so far this season we've looked at two ways that Jesus helps us by becoming our friend who walks with us through death and judgment into forgiveness and life, and by becoming our king whose leadership shows us how to live as those who know that God is redemptively present in the world and in our lives. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus helps us by becoming the prophet of God to us, meaning Jesus is the one who perfectly gives us God's own word Because as John's gospel says, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Why is that helpful? Because in the Bible, God's word brings unity to the divided. Hope to the hopeless. Salvation. Life from the dead. And that's what our passage is about this morning. It's about the way that God's word gives life today to us. And therefore, it's about why we can and should believe that Jesus is God's resounding yes to our prayer for help. So let's read our passage, Ezekiel 37, 1-14, pray, and then we'll look at the power of God's prophetic word and how Jesus gives it to us. Kids, this chapter is super amazing, so listen to it because you're going to like it. It's got dead bones coming back to life. Ready? Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, that's Ezekiel, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and will cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, And skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word and the profound testimony of its power in our life through your Holy Spirit to bring life from death. Uh, Father, we pray, therefore, that your spirit, as we reflect upon your word, would give us minds to understand it, ears to hear it, and hearts to believe it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher And may the meditation of all of our hearts as those called to hear and receive and respond to your word, please may it all now be pleasant in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This passage is so powerful on its own, but I I think its power grows when we focus on why God brings this long dead army to life. Uh, Verse 11 Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. I want to be clear here. God is not saying in this passage that Israel was unsaved or had stopped being the people of God. God does use the image of death, to talk about unsaved people. But that's not always what it means, and it doesn't mean that here. And I, for one, am very glad about that because God here is describing and responding to the way his people feel. God says that his people are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. God is aware of a loss of hope and strength that his people are feeling. He knows when their emotional reserves are empty. He knows when their spiritual strength is exhausted. Jesus knows when his people look out on the world and see absolutely no hope of salvation, whether that's from God or even angels or people or or anyone. We are indeed cut off, Israel says to herself. We don't have any help, even God has turned his back on us. My friends, Jesus sees into the deepest corners of our hearts and minds and lives. He knows our doubts and our fears. He knows our secret longings. He knows our weaknesses and our frailty. Uh, He knows when we believe that he will not save us and when we think that we are all alone and that no one will help us and when he sees this jesus does not sit back and say huh interesting tell me more Uh, he doesn't say like so many of us would say in this situation wow man i don't even know what to say i don't know what to do i'm at a loss No, Jesus recognizing the strength sucking ache of hopelessness and the death like abyss of feeling cut off tells us that he not only knows what to do to say and bring life and help, but that he will actually bring life and help to his people. He knows what to do, he knows what to say, and he does it. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. I want you to see that. I also want you to see the context that makes Israel feel this way. Uh, In the book of Ezekiel, Israel is in the middle of big changes. She's been conquered and removed from her home. She's been transplanted against her will into an extremely different cultural context. She has lost and has not had for Decades and decades, any political power. She feels lost and lonely and vulnerable and scared. And on top of all of this, she remains divided within herself. The civil war that tore Israel in two before she was conquered has continued on in bitter partisanship among the tribes. They're each suspicious of each other angry with each other. They're blaming each other for their own suffering, and this is your fault. We're in this situation because of you. No, it's your fault. We're in this situation because of you. But not just that. God's people were also divided in their loyalty to God. The people worshipped idols, and they worshipped Jesus. They were divided in their vision of what it looked like to serve Jesus and live as his people, They had priests and elders and leaders. God calls them shepherds in Ezekiel who abused his people so that they could be comfortable and secure what little power they could. But not just that, as if that's not sufficient, right? Displaced, homeless, vulnerable, abused by your spiritual leaders, divided in your loyalty, aware that you're divided from God, unsure how to move forward with Jesus. In some places— God's people were suffering from the hunger of famine and homelessness that's brought by flood, drought, and fire. I didn't know God's people lived in California back then. Yeah. Uh, And then in other places, maybe places like Indiana, God's people suffered from their own inability to help their friends and family who were suffering far away. And then there was the drumbeat of war, which threatened more and more change and displacement and death. Now, despite my joke about California, we are not in that situation. Objectively, things are just nowhere near as dire for us. Uh, But given the divisions within the church, the changes the last couple of years have brought, the revelation of abusive leaders throughout God's people in the church in America— that have come to light, the threats of disease, the feeling of being helpless when people you love are suffering, like those are clearly things that we can enter into and that we understand. And maybe we feel like Israel. My bones are dried up. My hope is gone. I'm cut off. Or maybe you're not quite there, but you can tell you're on the road there. Well, my friends, Jesus knows. He sees. And He has a word of life for you this morning. And this is why, in verses one through two, God puts Ezekiel in this valley of bones that have been bleached white by the sun. Uh, the point is, these bones are as dead as they can be. They are not mostly dead, they are super all dead. It's so, a uh, Princess Bride shout out for you all there. Uh, and this is why God asks in Ezekiel uh, in verse 3 of Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Now, when God calls Ezekiel son of man, I think it's because God wants us to put ourselves in Ezekiel's place. This isn't a question just for Ezekiel, it's it's a question for us as God's people. Can these bones live? Is God able to do anything for the dead? Whether you're physically dead, none of you are physically dead. But if you were, or or if you're feeling emotionally or spiritually dead like these bones, can God do something to bring them back to life? Now, we all know, because we're all super pious, that the answer is yes. God can do whatever he wants. But knowing that God can do something, and believing that God will do something are two very different things. One is intellectual knowledge. God is omnipotent and can do what he wants, right? I passed my systematic theology class. The other is faith. God is omnipotent and will save me. And I think Ezekiel is torn between the two here, just like we can be. I know that God can do something, and I want to believe that he will do something, but I'm not sure he will. I think that's why he answers God's question by saying, Oh Lord God, you know. It's a way of saying like, Lord, you are really the only one who knows what you're going to do. I don't know. And honestly, you can't see it from the text we read, but given the previous chapters where God talks about judgment, I think there's more than a little bit of fear and hesitancy in Ezekiel's answer. Like us, we all know what God can do, but how, for how many of us does that give us actual hope for what He will do for us? How many of us this morning are like Ezekiel, stuck between knowledge and trust and wanting to take that step of faith, but afraid that we won't be able to do it? Now, notice God doesn't get mad at Ezekiel's response. When Ezekiel says, oh, Lord, you know, God doesn't say, Ezekiel, you idiot. Of course I know. I'm God. I asked you. Jesus understands Ezekiel's hesitancy and his fear. And so he says, in response to Ezekiel's sort of non-answer, I don't know what my faith says, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prophesy to these dead bones. Tell these bones that they're going to live. And and as I point that out, I need you to see this. When God tells Ezekiel to prophesy, he doesn't give Ezekiel a message about the future. He doesn't have Ezekiel say, bones in the future in 2021, God will bring you to life then. But until then, you know, just sort of rest there, bleached white in the sun. Ezekiel doesn't give the bones the future. He gives them the word of God which is the command to come to life now. And I point that out because in the Bible, prophesying in prophecy is first and foremost speaking the word of God, which is sometimes a word about the future, but is most often a word about the present in light of the past. Prophecy is always in the first instance speaking God's word to his people who are alive today. And so Ezekiel speaks God's word, and these bones come together and they get their bodies back. But they don't have life until Ezekiel prophesies a second time and puts the breath of life into them. And I think it's interesting to ask why God separates these two events. like Why separate putting the bodies back together from giving them life? Uh, God didn't have to, of course. And we're low on time, so I'm just going to offer one thought. I wonder if by separating these events, God wants us to see that he gives us more than just the appearance of life. That he doesn't simply piece the bones back together like we do with dinosaurs in a museum, draping the appearance of life over death. But he actually gives life to the dead. But we might say God shows us here that he isn't promising to cover our heartache and sadness and emptiness with church clothing and a false smile. He's actually promising to give life fully and abundantly with real joy and real glory to his real people. And God does that by giving us his word. This is important to see. God's response to our brokenness is first to give us his word. Now, I know some people might think words aren't very useful. Uh, But just to push back hard against that, can I submit to you that that feeling that words are usually worthless is rooted more in our individualistic, pragmatic, consumeristic cowboy culture than in our actual experience or the word of God? Words are incredibly useful. When you're sad and someone says, I understand. When you're alone and someone says, I love you. When people give you words of appreciation and forgiveness. When children hear their parents say, I'm proud of you. When your friends say, I'm thankful for you. What do those words do to the dried up bones in your own heart? Don't they make you feel alive? My friends, our words have power because we are image bearers of God. And praise God that his words have even more power than our own. See, God's word doesn't simply turn the light on, it calls light out of darkness. God's word doesn't just give you the sense that you can pick up the pieces of your broken life. It actually rebuilds what has been torn down. God's word creates and brings life. God's word actually forgives you and gives breath of of hope to you. God's word heals and it frees. God's word doesn't just wish for unity. It actually creates it. And do you know why God's word does that? Because the word of God, which created all things in Genesis 1, the word that called Abraham up out of Ur and gave him all his redemptive promises, the word that freed Israel from slavery and pronounced them his children at Mount Sinai, uh, the word which God has Ezekiel prophesy in our passage is Jesus. The word of God, the Bible tells us, is Jesus. Jesus, who took on flesh to save us. When God sends out his word, he sends out himself in the person of Jesus to save and renew and rebuild. And that's why Trinitarian theology matters. When God has Ezekiel prophesied to these bones as a sign of a life he will bring to exhausted, fearful, helpless, empty, aching Israel, God is saying, I will give you my word. I will give you myself. I will give you my son. And my son will give you what only God can resurrection life, unity peace, forgiveness, hope, today. That's what the word of God, Jesus, does for us all. He gives us life today. And this is why when we talk about the roles that Jesus fills in our lives, the the offices he holds, king, prophet, priest, we say that Jesus is our prophet. He is the one who speaks the life-giving words of God Because he is the life-giving word of God. Okay, let me end with this. The Bible is the word of life that God has spoken to us in and through Jesus. Now, of course, the Bible is not itself Jesus. We don't bow down before the Bible and cry out, my Lord and my God, right? That would be wrong. But the Bible is the word of life that God has spoken in and through Jesus, which is why we believe two things, and this hope will impact your Christmas season. First, we believe that if you want the life of Jesus, you need to get it through the Bible, because the Bible is God's Word written. It's how Jesus is spoken to us today, which is why we also believe, second, that when we give each other the Bible, we give each other Jesus' own renewing, resurrecting, word of hope and life. We're actually giving each other Jesus. My friends, stop and think about the fact that when God had Ezekiel prophesy, or you could say preach, like our Reformed forebearers did, or if you want to be super hip and with it, you could say share, like whatever you want to call it, prophesy, preaching, sharing the word, whatever, whatever you want to say. When Ezekiel proclaims the word of God to the dead bones, Jesus brings life. The word never goes out empty, God says in Isaiah. It always accomplishes everything God sends it out to do. And this Christmas, all of us are going to talk to our family and friends and neighbors and co-workers. We're we're all going to talk to each other. I assume that's your plan after the service. Uh, Don't be afraid of sharing